Whew, Jesus, thank you. Pastor Terry, come on, let's hear it for Pastor Terry. He's been working hard, getting ready. Doesn't he look sharp today? He dressed up for us tonight. <laughs> yeah, we had a funeral today. <laughs> That's what I was um, Tom hit it right on the nail. I mean, I, I talked to one of I Walter Go. I, I told him I was talking about him last week. And uh, he said, well, you got to expect to be offended when you talk about it. When you give a class on offense, you gotta you got to be offended. That's what he said. And I was offended, so <laughs> I hope I did it right. <laughs> so little did what I'm trying to do anyway. All right, to, this is um, a longer session. It's it's going to be on the undercover. I was surprised at how much uh, volume of material that John has. Um, let me, Tom Tom talked about the funeral today, and and uh, and the and the grandkids. I think there was three or four of them. I think there was three grandkids, and they quoted scripture and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, gee whiz, if I were to die today, would that happen in my funeral? Yeah, that. Yeah, what? What do you think? What are you passing down to your your children? Jan has a, a better uh, with better feeling and uh, with the with the kids than I do, and uh, they need both of us. So I was really hit between the eyes about that. It nearly caused me to, to realize that, that uh, the time is short. and We don't have much time to, to influence. You know, I'm not saying all, all your kids are going to be Christian. But do everything you can to, to bring them into the kingdom. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, intercession is an awesome part of this. And... Uh, I've never seen a family like that. I've been to a lot of funerals too, and I have never seen a family. Everybody that stood up was was obviously saved. <laughs> they were talking about Jesus and Scripture and gave great talks. And uh, I don't, uh, and I know that I know how Nancy Nancy was. Nancy is. If you know Nancy, she's. Uh, I'll say something. She'll say, "No, you're not." <laughs> Say, say, say the things that weren't, what is it, what's that scripture? Yeah, that's it. That's a, Those things that be not. So don't claim anything. And Jen does that to me too. I'm sick today. No, you're not sick. <laughs> so, but uh, I think, I think uh, Nancy's the motor in that family. And uh, that, we can all do that. So tonight we're going to talk about undercover. And uh, again, we've got John Bevere talking. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to move his mouth this time. Not last time. Last time we did it, uh, we just heard it. <laughs> but the first, I hope the first one is, is there and ready to go. But let me ask you a couple questions. In uh, what area of your life do you feel the need for some sort of protection? In what area of your life do you, do you feel the need for some sort of protection? Jen, right here's the mic. Somebody answer that question for me. In, in what area of your, your life do you need some sort of protection? I ask the intercessors all the time, cover, cover us, cover me. You know, this, man, the devil's, a, he's, he's real. So but. intercession is a part of the covering. It really is. It's a, a way to cover ourselves. But if not just today, you got to do it all the time. 
the thing I keep asking for uh, is that the Holy Spirit will teach me how to think about what comes out of my mouth before it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been guilty of that one too. <laughs> I've been guilty of that too. Um, in my new job at school, um, I took over a classroom where there was a very strong occult presence. Wow. Um, and I brought a friend in and we prayed and swept it, swept it clean <laughs> um, and found some literature on the bookshelf that just was not in line with wow. the word of the Lord. So I tossed it. And um, so it's a daily thing. And well, you know, you get God this, out of the school system. Well, and you get the students who come in and, you, you know, they have all different situations that they're encountering and dealing with. So there one thing that John Bevere says a lot in his book is secular answers do not always mean spiritual answers. Uh, give me a secular protection that you, you all want and need. Police. Police, okay. If, if something happens and somebody tries to burn this house down and tries to shoot me, we would call the police. What's wrong? Oh, batteries die. Thanks, <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. So police is, is, is not a Christian. Now, now, this sounds real stupid, but let's say you're, you're, you're helpless and you're alone in your home and you hear a noise downstairs. This happens to me a lot. What, what do y'all do? You pray. <laughs> Help, Lord. <laughs> I, I feel most vulnerable when I'm in the tub or, you know, Jen's, Jen's had to help her mother a lot. She's been spending the night there. And, and spending a lot of time helping her mother. And uh, I've, I've got to the point where I say, God, you said fear comes from Satan. We don't have to be afraid of anything. If somebody's down there, let him shoot me. <laughs> so that's the way I think. I mean, I'm really uh, not fearful anymore. I just, I just, if it starts to come upon me, I just say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. And God did not give us a spirit of fear. So, you know, I don't I call the police. No, I'm not going to call the police. <laughs> but, uh, but I've learned not to be afraid of situations where I can't control it, but God can. I was watching um, something. It was, it was a firing squad. I love history. They, they were talking today in something that, uh, that I really liked. He liked World War II history. I, I, I live and breathe World War II history. And Stalin was, was, had his... Uh, uh, what do you call that firing squad? And they and, and this guy was standing there, and he starts laughing. And they circled it on the documentary I was watching. And uh, uh, I guess Mr. the guy Prince, what's his left first name? Derek Prince. He said he must have been a Christian because he <laughs> he wasn't afraid of death. Isn't that something? So he laughed when they shot him. Now, isn't that something? So I want to get to the point where. Nothing scares me. I am under the cover of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is more powerful than any demon, anything more, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. <laughs> okay, I'll quit preaching here. From where or from whom do you retrieve or receive protection? All right, you've already answered that question. We're going we're gonna, to ask you three questions, and then we'll play the video. 
What is your general attitude toward authority? <laughs> so beta Satan fixed you, huh? <laughs> I love the protection of authority, and I love being under a pastor and under that covering and that authority. Okay. Now, John DeVere is going to talk about some a, a particular situation that he is aware of, he was part of. And I, we'll talk about it after it's over. But uh, it's whether well, pastor got a word from God to do something. Now, if I've been working for six months on a, on a project and Pastor Tom says, cancel that project, we don't need it anymore. I'd be mad at Pastor Tom. <laughs> Offended, yeah. <laughs> so just think about that because God talks through the leaders. Uh, Jan found some scripture in Hosea 8, 4. Uh, uh, who's got a Bible? Who can look Hosea 8, 4? And this is the first time I had ever seen it. And uh, I want somebody to read that for me. Somebody raise their hand when you've got it in your Bible or your, or your phone. <laughs> Hosea 8, 4. Uh, the people have anointed ki appointed kings without my consent and princes without my approval. And so my question there was, there's scripture that says that, you know, God places the leaders over us. And, and I've, you know, I've always believed that. But then I read this last night where that people have appointed kings without God's consent and princes without his approval. So I just threw that at Terry and he's like, uh. <laughs> uh I never read that. And uh, I've always been... Uh, in fact, I had to apologize to some, well, I can't apologize to Obama, but I've never liked him. <laughs> I confess, Lord. <laughs> but he was our leader. And, and, uh, but now it's, it's talking about Israel going to idol worship, and they decided they didn't like the king. They wanted somebody else. So that's pretty much what they were doing. They were deciding themselves what they wanted, even though that had no, uh, nothing to do with uh, under, undercover or covering. And, and what we believe, through the kingdom of God, and as Pastor Tom said, the kingdom is, a, is not a democracy. It's not, we don't vote on whether or not we get saved. You get saved, this is how you do it, you know. And uh, there's a lot, lot of leeway there, but there's still, it's, it's, it's a deep, Edict. I, I want some more scripture. First, Romans one one. Somebody, somebody read that. Romans one one. Just raise your hand and start talking. That's a hard one to find. All right, Romans one one. This letter is from Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach the good news. All right, now, now look at James 1.1. 1, 1. Who was James? Jesus' brother. I was watching Little House on the Prairie. I've told you all this before. But those two little girls sit up and talk all night, you know. <laughs> and they're sweet little girls. And, and I heard, that's Jesus and James. I don't know where that came from. But uh, what does James say?
I don't know. I don't know. Well, Joshua is a, it means James in, in language. James 1.1 1, 1 says, this letter is from James, a slave of God and, uh, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There you Christ. go, a slave. Both of them, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, James 1.1. 1, 1, and James knew him probably, if he, if he was his brother, I don't know what his name was, if he was his brother, he knew him intimately. And he said, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you would say that about your brother? Not me. <laughs> so, I, I've been beat up by my brother, and he didn't treat me too good sometimes. So, so I, don't, uh, I would never call him Jesus or never say he was, uh, I'm, I'm his slave, even though sometimes I think that's what he wanted. <laughs> so, but I, I think that's the only way to please God. It, and, and when I was looking through this uh, material, that's what I, I come up with. I came up with is that we all have to be slaves of Jesus Christ. Tom talk, Tom is our leader. We're under his covering. He's asked us to go out in our neighborhood and, and witness to, or witness or pray for the neighbors. Now, I've uh, done that before. I, I got chicken because I got somebody that said, "What are you here for?" <laughs> so, what are you doing here? You know. You get some people like that, and I, I quit doing it. <laughs> oh Lord, help me, help me, Lord. <laughs> but if we want to do what God wants us to do, just be a slave. Just think of that. You are God's slave. That means tomorrow, tonight, we do what God wants us to do, not what we want to do, not what's most comfortable. Uh, I was uh, reading a book on Reese Howell, and uh, he uh, walked by this building. God says, go buy that building. Well, Reese House, I don't have any money. <laughs> I can't buy a $5,000 estate at that time. It was 4000 It was 2002. No, 1000 It was 1904. That's what it was, 1904. That's when he uh, walked by this building. Well, every time he went on his walk, he walked by that building. And, and he kept hearing, God said, Buy that thing. And he even told him how much to buy it for. So he went to the guy and says, hey, I know you think I'm crazy, but I want to buy your property. He said, uh, you got, you got $50,000, let's say, in today's money. He said, no, God told me to pay only 300 and something, or 3,000, 30,000. That's, that's, that's more like it. And he said, he started laughing. He said, I've already got $50,000 for this land. I don't, I'm not going to sell it to you for thirty. So he started laughing. So he thought he'd done what he was supposed to do. He was God's slave, right? He, so he uh, went by it again, and God said, buy that place. So he went back to the guy's house and said, I keep hearing from God that $30,000 is going to buy this. And he said, no way. A month later. He calls him up and says, look, I'm not making any money off of this thing, but I'll sell it to you for $30,000. is not that something? That, that kind of faith is infectious. He, he knew God wanted him to buy that property, and, uh, and, he's, and he believed it. So when God tells you something, you can put it in the bank. And, he, and I guess he bought three properties that way. He never had any money. When, and when he would get a donation, he would throw it in the box. 
But when the time came up for the first payment, he goes, he goes through the box and finds enough to pay it, almost to the letter. And uh, he said he hired carpenters to build a dormitory. Reinhard Bunky, by the way, went to that college. <laughs> and uh, he hired carpenters, and they got paid Saturday morning. He said, on Friday night, I never had the money to pay them. But I never missed a payment. Now, that's something. For years, he never had a payment. He never had the money to pay his carpenters. His carpenters would build, and I could build for nothing. They build this place, and, and through faith, he was able to pay them. He didn't say a word to anybody. I need money. I need this. I need that. He just... He just gave away to God. So I want, uh, that's, that's, what that's, that's what we're after. That kind of faith. If God says it, do it. He will provide for you. You just do it. And I know it's hard, and that's where intercession comes in. Lord, you told me to go do this. I'm moving towards it, but I do not see how in the world you're going to do it. That's okay. Just say, I'll do it. <laughs> so, Okay, let's go ahead and watch that video, and then we're, we'll talk about what he went through. How could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? You're about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given us. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere, along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. Lesson one is particularly important because it presents not only a complete overview of the series, but also lays a solid foundation upon which to build your understanding of these life-changing principles. Join John now for an introduction to Undercover as he explains why it's hard to kick against the goats. Glory be to God. I'd like you to find two places this morning, Romans the 13th chapter. And if you do me a favor and put a marker in Romans 13, put your little marker there, your Bible marker. Hopefully you've got one. And then also find with me Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Now, let me say this. You say undercover. What in the world does that mean? Well, how many of you know that undercover speaks of a place of refuge, a shelter, a place of protection? I remember as a young man, as I, I should say a young boy, as about five or six years old, when somebody would come up and scare me, I would always hide behind the frame of my mom or my dad, particularly my dad if he was around. How many of you remember when storms came when you were children and you'd hear the rain beat on your roof like thousands of little hammers and you'd see the lightning out there and the danger that was out there, but yet you were felt safe and secure under the protection of your home? Well, how does this apply to us as believers? 
David makes the statement in Psalms 91, verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Can you say amen? amen? I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. There's the protection right there. My fortress, my God, in Him shall I trust. Now, we love to quote this scripture, don't we, in the church? However, when David says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, a question comes up in my mind. Who is the one who is under the shadow of the Almighty? Who is the one that is under that place or in that place of refuge? Now, a lot of people believe that that is the person that is born again or the person that attends church faithfully. But I, I'm going to show you this morning that that's not the case, that that's not necessarily true. Some people think it's the person that's in the prayer closet. I'm going to show you that in these lessons, that that's not necessarily truth. I don't, know what, I don't know about you, but I want to be the person that's in the secret place of the Most High. How about you? Can you say amen? Now, undercover speaks of one thing. If we had to summarize it in one word, and you're going to see it over these 12 lessons, it speaks of the person that is submitted to divine authority. Everybody say divine authority. If we look at the Garden of Eden, we will find out that Adam and Eve lived in an absolutely glorious place. There was freedom, there was protection, there was great provision. Can you say amen to that? And yet, when they disobeyed, the moment they disobeyed, they found themselves immediately seeking for that which they voluntarily got out from under through their disobedience. And you know what that was? To cover themselves. Isn't it amazing? The moment they got out from underneath this cover through disobedience, they are immediately seeking to cover themselves. Now, you say, I don't like the subject of authority. Well, you're not a minority. As a matter of fact, the majority in America don't like the subject of authority. But I believe that when we go through these 12 lessons and you listen carefully, you're going to find out that not only will you like authority, you will have a passion to seek it and live it in your own life. The greatest, most passionate desire of my heart is to know God intimately. Yet, I find throughout all of Scripture, and you will see this so clearly, that the ones that really knew God are the ones who understood and were submitted to His divine authority. If you look at Moses, Moses knew God and talked to Him face to face, yet there is a man who understood the authority of God. If you look at David, it's the same way. If you look at the Apostle Paul, it's the exact same way. And that is my heartbeat. That is your heartbeat. I believe that's why you're here. So that, first and foremost, is the reason why I want to know authority. And the reason is this. The reason is, is because God and His authority are inseparable. If you have truly come to know the Lord, you have come to know His authority. There are many people today in the church that are no different than the children of Israel. The children of Israel came out of Egypt, which is a type of being born again. Isn't that true? Egypt is a type of the world. Coming out of Egypt is a type of being saved. Yet God brought them to the mountain, and the whole reason he brought them to the mountain, he said, the whole reason that I brought you out of Egypt was not, first of all, to bring you into a promised land. The first reason that I brought you out was to bring you to myself. Exodus 19, verse 3. God wanted to have intimacy with them like Moses had had intimacy with God. And God brought them out and said, cleanse yourselves and prepare yourselves because I'm coming down. But when God came down, the children of Israel backed up and said, we can't handle it. So God said to Moses and Aaron, you guys come up, I want to talk to you. And what the children of Israel did is they stayed down at the bottom and they played church. Everybody say amen. amen. And what they did is they created a calf. Now a lot of us in the church today say we would never do such a thing. But let me tell you this, 
They created that calf, and what they called that calf was Yahweh. That is the holy, sacred name of God, which the scribes would not even write the name of. They looked right at that calf and said, Behold Yahweh who has delivered us from Egypt. They created a God who was a manageable deity. They created a God who would give them what they wanted, and that's literally what idolatry is. The Bible says rebellion is idolatry. Are you with me? Why? Because you created Jesus. A Jesus that saved me, a Jesus that heals me, but that Jesus will give you whatever you want. Jesus makes the statement, why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet not do what I say? In other words, why call, bother calling me master when you really live your life the way you want to? The Bible does not say, if thou shalt confess the Savior Jesus. The Bible says, if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus, yet Jesus says, don't call me Lord unless you do what I say. Amen. The word Lord appears over 7,000 times in the Bible. Where does God put the emphasis? God puts his emphasis on lordship, which means master. Now, when it comes to authority, we have to understand something. And let me preface it with this before I say what we have to understand. I have found Westerners, and when I say Westerners, I mean those of free nations, the Western European nations as well as the United States and other countries, are some of the hardest people to preach the gospel to in the world. I have preached the gospel in every single continent except Antarctica. I haven't preached to the penguins yet, but we'll see what happens in the next few years. But anyway, I have found that Westerners are some of the hardest people to preach the gospel to. And the reason is fundamental. And that is this. It is hard, and I should actually say it is impossible, to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. You can never understand the kingdom of God with a democracy mindset. You don't even connect. You are not even on the same playing field as God. It is almost like you are trying to play basketball and God's on a football field. You don't even connect. It is almost like trying to plug it, something into a power source with no power. The power is somewhere else. Are you with me? That is why I have found that people that do not understand the things of God are people that do not understand authority because God and his authority are inseparable. When you come to know God, you come to know his authority. If you read through the Bible, you will find the people with the greatest faith, the greatest intimacy with God, the walk in the greatest holiness are those who knew his authority. Amen? Because Jesus says, thine is the kingdom and the power both now and forever. Amen? Are you with me? Say amen. Job 36, verse 11 and 12 says, If they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. I am going to show you in the next 12 lessons that not only will staying under God's authority protect you, it will also be his provision for your life. It will also be his protection for your life. And I don't know about you, but in these times, I'm very interested in that. How about you? Amen. Amen. All right. The freedom that we seek, now listen carefully to me, the freedom we seek when we resist authority is the very thing we lose in our insubordination to it. My wife has a saying that I think is so powerful. My wife says there is freedom in submission, there is bondage in rebellion. However, what the enemy does is he gets us to think that what will give us freedom actually is the best thing for us. The rebellion that will give us freedom is the best thing for us when actuality, that's what brings us into bondage. And that's exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. Are you with me? Now, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans, the 13th chapter, please. Paul says in the first verse, 
Let every soul. Now, before I go any further, would you look up at me? Does that include you? Yeah. All right, you're in every soul, I'm in every soul. Amen? Let every soul be subject. Everybody say subject. subject. To the governing authorities. Keep reading. For there is no authority. Everybody say no authority. No authority. Except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist bring judgment on themselves. Now, Paul makes this statement. There is no legitimate authority except from God. And people that resist authority are resisting the ordinance of God. In other words, when you resist authority, you resist the one who has given authority. You resist the very one who is instituted, and that is God, because all authority is from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be resisting God. Do you? Amen. But you now listen to me carefully. This is where people start getting scared sometimes. They say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know if I like that. But let me say this. God is not a child abuser. As a matter of fact, God's love for us is greater than any human being's love for us, even greater than our own love for ourselves. So when God says to do something, he does it, listen to me, he does it out of love, not out of legalism. Can you say amen? Unfortunately, there have been people that have beat up people with this scripture and have gotten legalistic with it. But you're going to find out when you have a heartbeat of God, nothing is ever legalistic. What makes the scriptures legalistic is you losing the heartbeat of it. It's the spirit that quickeneth. Amen? The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What we must always seek when we are reading the word of God is we must seek the heart of God in reading it. Amen? Because God is not a God who wants a bunch of rules and regulations and people that are being forced or constrained by it. He is looking for people that delight to obey, not have to obey. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. There's three things I want to point out here right away. Number one, all authority originates from God. Number two, God appoints all existing rulers or legitimate authorities. Number three, to rebel against those in authority is to rebel against God himself. Too many see themselves today accountable to only God and have no authority in their life. There are people that run around today and say, I'm spirit-filled, Jesus is my Lord, he is the one that speaks to me. However, I want to remind you, the very one you call Lord is the very one who set up authorities in the church, in society, and in our homes. So, if you have that mentality of I'm a Christian and everything I need, I can get straight from God and I don't need authorities, you may find yourself resisting the very one you call Lord. Let me remind you what, Paul, or what uh, Jesus said to the Apostle Paul. He said, Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the goads or the thorns or the pricks. What was a goad or a thorn or a prick? Actually, the better word, the best word is goad. Those goads were long poles, about eight feet long, that farmers would use. And what they would do, they would use wood like oak or some other hard wood. And they would carve those wood, they would take all the bark off of that wood, and they would make a very, very sharp point at the front of it. And that farmer would use that goad when he was plowing his field, that if the oxen didn't obey, that oxen would basically get that goad, that sharp point going right into his hiney. You got it? So there was a proverbial expression in Paul's day that it's hard to kick against the goads. And what that proverbial expression was, was it was used to describe the futility of the resistant superior power. So that's exactly what Jesus was saying to Paul is, 
Why are you resisting my power? You are kicking against the goads. Now, I want to say this. Whenever we are resisting his direct authority or his delegated authority, we're kicking against goats. And let me share with you how my eyes got opened up to that. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was actually in the ministry that my eyes got awakened to the fact that I was kicking against his authority and I didn't even realize it. Back in the 1980s, I was asked to be a youth pastor for a very powerful church in the southern part of the United States. This church had about 7,000 members in it. And I remember when I came to be their youth pastor, it was a move of God. God had spoken to me. I really started seeking God about how to run a youth group. I just didn't want to do it the way everybody else was doing it. And the Lord led me to one in particular book of a youth pastor who was having a very successful ministry in Louisiana. They had about 1,250 high school students in their youth group. And I was reading his manual, and I really felt like this guy had the heart of God for ministering to the youth. So the first two weeks I was at this church, after I got hired, I bought a plane ticket and I flew to Louisiana to, get in, to meet with these pastors who were over these youth. And I remember when I got picked up on a Wednesday night, they whisked me right to the youth service, which met every Wednesday night. Their main youth service was every Wednesday night. And I remember walking into that auditorium. First of all, the auditorium seat 1,500 people and was almost full. And what really amazed me is these 9th, 10th, and 11th, and 12th graders were excited about being there. And I thought, this is amazing. And then when the youth pastor, the senior youth pastor, started preaching, it wasn't this candy-coated, sugar-coated message about how fun it is to date. It was a gospel of power. He was preaching on holiness and purity. And I thought, wow, look at how excited these kids are. I'm in the right place. So the next day, I met with all four of the youth pastors. I, I couldn't believe it. This church had four full-time paid youth pastors. It had two full-time secretaries paid, and they had their own youth administration building. I mean, you talk about a youth group. It was a youth group. And so I remember sitting down with all four youth pastors, and all four of them said this, basically, John, there is one reason for our success here, and that is this, our parties. And I said, what do you mean your parties? He said, really, they're home fellowships. He said, every Friday night, 118 home fellowships are going on. We call them parties all around the city. He said, John, we cannot get people. We can't get them from the high school into the, into the youth service. He said, but we can get sinners into parties. I said, that's brilliant. So they all talked to me about it. On Friday night, I went to, the first, I went to one of their home, uh, parties. I couldn't believe it. The kids came. They had some music playing. They talked a while. Then all of a sudden, one of the leaders who was a high school student or a college student said, hey, guys, let's talk. And they all started talking, and he led it right into spiritual things, taught them some things, and then gave an altar call, and kids got saved. And then they took the kids to the back room, and they got their names and addresses and phone numbers, called them up immediately on Monday, and got them into that service by Wednesday, and got them plugged right into the New Believers course for the youth. I thought, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. So I remember flying back to the place where I was living. And I prayed. Now, everybody listen to me. I prayed. I said, God, do you want me to do this? And the Lord said, yes, I want you to do this. Now, are you with me? So I said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord gave me a plan. He said, I want you to start a school of leadership. And he said, I want you to start training your young people on leadership, on integrity, faithfulness, loyalty, etc." So what I did is I started a separate course for the youth that I called the School of Leadership. Now, we had 250 in our youth group, and we had 90 people, kids, coming to that leadership class. 
And I was very strong with them. I said, you got to wear a tie. you got to read through your Bible once a year. you got to pray. I, I mean, I had very strict. I said, this is not for the overall youth group. I am training leaders, and I'm going to be hard on you. I said, there's only a certain kind of movie that I'm going to allow you to see. I said, I don't want you seeing any PG-13 or any R-rated movies. I said, we're going to pursue God. And you know what? They loved it. I had two of them that were 14 years old that were getting up and praying every morning from 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock and then going to school. And I remember we started teaching them in leadership. After about five months, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to choose 24 kids out of that uh, 90 kids, and I want them to be your first leaders. So I chose 24, and I brought them into another class that I called the discipleship class. Now, meanwhile, I had seen my pastor, my senior pastor. I would seen him on the parking lot, and I mentioned to him what we were doing. I said, hey, this is what we're doing, da 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 da, da. We're going to start these parties, home groups, all of this. And he said, that sounds great. And so we continued to go for another two months. And I taught that discipleship class. And meanwhile, my assistant youth pastor and I, we divided the city up. We broke it down into sections, regions, in little, little, little smaller zip code areas. We had the curriculum all ready to go. We had the homes picked out. We start, I started preaching the whole vision to the, to the Tuesday night youth group because that's when our main service met for the youth was Tuesday night. And they were all getting excited. I was preaching from the book of Acts about having church in your home. They were all getting excited. They were all thinking, who are the first people I'm going to invite to my parties? They were praying for them. I mean, they were impassioned with vision. You know what I'm talking about? I was excited. My associate was, was, was excited. It was a God idea, it seemed to us. And so uh, I remember three weeks before we were ready to start the parties. I walked into a pastor's meeting that I will never, ever, 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 ever forget. And I remember when I walked into that pastor's meeting, my senior pastor was there along with 11 associates. I was one of the 11 associates. And I remember him walking in there and saying, gentlemen, the Holy Spirit showed me the direction of this church is not to have home fellowship groups. So I want all of you to cancel your home fellowship groups. This is after seven months or eight months of working on it. Now, there was couples pastor, there was a seniors pastor, there was a children's pastor and singles pastor, and they all kind of had floundering home cell groups. And I thought, well, maybe he means just them and not the youth, because I shared with them in a parking lot two months ago what we were doing. So I lifted my hands and said, excuse me, pastor, you mean except the youth, don't you? And he looked at me and he said, John, the Holy Spirit told me the direction of the church is not to have home groups. I said, pastor, I said, do you remember I flew to that church in Louisiana, the one with 1,250 kids in it? He said, yes, I do. I said, the, all four of their youth pastors said the whole reason that they're doing so well is because they can't get kids out of high schools into the youth service, but they can get them into a party. And I said, they have 1,250 kids, and they're growing by 100 a month. I said, Pastor, I said, this is a way we can really reach people. He said, John, the Holy Spirit told me the direction of the church is not to have home fellowship groups. I said, Pastor, I said, I, I can't get these kids from the high school into this auditorium. They're not going to come. I said, we can win this whole city to the Lord. He said, John, the Holy Spirit told me the direction of the church is not to have home groups. Now, I argued with him for 20 minutes. The whole time, the steam kept boiling stronger and stronger. I'm looking at my associate youth pastor. His eyes were like this. My eyes were like this. I'm continuing until finally, by the grace of God, I shut up. And I remember the whole rest of the pastor's meeting, I didn't hear another word. And I remember when that pastor's meeting was over, I'm doing a beeline to the door. I'm out of there. I am so upset. One of the older associate pastors tried to stop me and talk some sense in me. I said, leave me alone. I don't want to talk. I got in my car, and I drove home. I'm furious. I, go, I, I pull into my driveway. I open up the front door of my house. I walk in, and Lisa, my wife, is walking right by me, right by the foyer when I walk into the house. I said, honey, you're not going to believe what he's done. And she looked at me with terror, and she said, who and what did they do? 
I said, he has just canceled the parties, the home groups. What we've worked on for eight months, he just canceled in the one meeting today. And my wife looked at me and she said, well, looks to me like God's trying to teach you something. And she walked out of the room. <laughs> now I was mad at her. <laughs> Insubordinate wife. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I heard the voice of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit said to me, whose ministry are you building? Mine or yours? I said, I'm building yours. He said, no, you're not. I said, God, we can't get kids from the high school into the church. But I said, we can get them in. I started going through the whole blooming thing with God as if he didn't know. That's how deceived a person gets when they're in rebellion. And I'm going to show you in later lessons that you will think that God doesn't know what's going on and you will think you will bring him down to your level. I'm going to show you how this happens. I start going through the whole thing with God, and when I got done with the whole spiel, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Son, when I brought you into this church, he said, I brought you in as extension of the senior pastor's hands and the extension of his legs. He said, because I put one person over a ministry. And he showed me how Moses was faithful in all of his house. He then showed me how that the apostle James was the senior man in the church in Jerusalem. I mean, if you really look at Acts chapter 15, I mean, all these elders came together. Peter, I'm talking about Peter, I'm talking about the big boys. Peter, John, Barnabas, Paul. And you know what? Barnabas spoke, Paul spoke, Peter spoke, some of the other leaders spoke, but James stood up and said, I thus judge. And when James said, I thus judge, everybody else shut up, and that's the way they went. I mean, he was the man. And the Lord showed me, he said, I put one man over a ministry. He said, when you stand before me in judgment for this time period that I have you serving in this church, however long it may be, he said, you will first of all be judged on how faithful you were to the man I put you under. He said, son, you can win every single young person, high school student to the Lord and still be judged by me at the judgment seat for your rebellion to the authority I put you under. When he said that, the fear of God hit me. And then the Holy Spirit son said, Son, if you keep going the way you're going, he said, the church is going to go this way, and he said, you're going to lead the youth group this way. He said, you're going to cause a split. And you know what? He later went on to say, that's what division means. Everybody say, division. Di the prefix die means two, two visions. And I saw the church going one direction and me going another. When I saw that, I started repenting as fast as I could. And I called the senior pastor. I ran to the phone, called the senior pastor at his home. And I said, Pastor, please forgive me. God has shown me I am in rebellion to him and to you. I want you to know I am canceling these home groups immediately. And the pastor was so nice. He said, oh, I love you so much. Thank God for you. And I thought, you don't know what I've gone through for these last couple hours. <laughs> Then the Spirit of God spoke to me again. He said, now, he said, John, what are you going to do? How are you going to tell your leaders? And immediately I had a vision of me walking in with my leaders on that next leadership meeting with those 24 leaders. And I saw myself walk into that meeting, and I said, guys, you're not going to believe what the senior pastor's done. And they all went, what, what? I could see their faces, what? I said, I know we've worked on this for eight months, but the senior pastor has canceled the home groups. And I saw all of them going, oh. I can't believe this. 
And all of them were upset with him. And the Spirit of God said to me, is that what you're going to do? I said, no, sir. And I remember I walked into that leadership meeting, and I looked at those young people, those 24 young people, I said, guys, I've got great news. I had a spark in my eye, I, you know, a spark in my voice. I said, I got great news. And they all looked at me and said, what? I said, our pastor has heard from God, and we have been spared from birthing in Ishmael. I said that he has said that the direction of this church is not to have home groups. Therefore, the parties are immediately canceled. And they all went, yeah, and that was it. Never heard another thing about it. I am convinced that if I did not pass the test right there, I would not be standing in front of you today. Somebody says, but what if the senior pastor was wrong? What if he really didn't hear from God? We'll answer it in the next 11 lessons. Somebody else said, but wait a minute. God spoke to you and told you to do it. Oh, we'll answer that one too. We're going to get answers to all of these things. Let me tell you, let me read to you what David said. David made this statement. In Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. He said, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. Listen carefully, church. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart. Folks, listen to me. Brokenness deals with authority. It means you're submitted to authority. Brokenness doesn't mean you're weakened. It means you're submitted to authority. Are you with me? I want to read a direct, direct quote from the book. We can make great sacrifices in our life. We can serve long hours, labor without pay. Are you listening? Give up sleep, seek ways to reach more people, etc. Because in ministry, how many of you know the list is endless? Caught up in these sacrifices, we could easily imagine ourselves and our efforts as pleasing to God. However, in all this activity, our core motive could still be deceptively fueled by self-will. Are you with me? Hear these words. God is pleased with submission which leads to true obedience. The purpose of this book is not only to teach you about submission, but to give you a passion and a hunger to live it. I can tell you this in my life. I have such a passion to live under divine authority. I believe by the end of the 12th lesson, you will too. Satan is a master of deception. In the next lesson, John Bevere teaches that if you understand how Satan deceived Eve, you'll understand how he attempts to do the same with you. All right. Let me get this thing. We'll talk about that. The story he told. How many? What do y'all think of that? Somebody wants that. You like? You like that? <laughs> Hold it till it's uh, red. And, okay, we'll just stick it up there. I like. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way that he. Um, you know, recovered, <laughs> you know, even though he initially got angry and thought he was right, he um, submitted. I was, I was thinking, gee whiz, I'd be upset too. <laughs> so, <laughs> were y'all thinking that? 
my goodness, that's a lot of work. And it's a very successful program. But again, God works through one man. What, we, we talked about Moses in the Bible. What, what happened to Moses' adversaries? They, they thought, Moses, who are you, Moses? You're not that great. What'd they do? What happened to them? You guys know, don't you? Yeah, well, they, the, the, no, not them. The, the, uh, the ones that, the adversaries that said, Moses is not so great. We're just as good as he is. And the ground split and they fell. <laughs> yeah, the Korah, yeah. And uh, he, Moses was in charge again. <laughs> so when there was a, ah, what do you call it, when they a rebellion against authority, uh, Moses didn't have to handle it. God handled it. So. And here's the, here's the other thing. If, if, if somebody's been placed in a leadership over you, then God speaks to that person most of the time. He might say something to you, but that person has, I, I would say that the leader has trumped you. What do you all think about that? <clears throat> Y'all know last week uh, when he was talking about offenses, and I was telling about uh, the gentleman that uh, I had called, and he never responded. Well, come to find out, the reason why I didn't respond was he was up north at a homecoming uh, reunion. So, um, and we didn't met, we didn't go to the uh, celebrate recovery. Well. Um, we went this past Tuesday. Uh, it was what uh, what the Holy Spirit revealed to me was that uh, Samuel was under uh, the leadership of uh, Elijah, Eli, and uh, so this gentleman that's running this Celebrate Recovery, he is under he is. A leader of this group and we went and the, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that uh, that if he's in the wrong then he will answer for that but uh, as for me I, I'm doing what God's telling me God placed him that God placed him there yeah you know now, he might not be doing what I think he should be doing, but who am I to, to be judging him anyway? Okay, that's, that, that's the key right there. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't have to, to be the way you would do it. Now, when I get in the kitchen and tell Jen how to cook, she doesn't like it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not much of a I cook. I taste his cooking, yeah. <laughs> um, I Take think my, my question before with the Hosea was, I believe that God appoints authority and and but does he allow us to appoint someone that, that is not in his approving? I, I know that you sent me something, but. Yeah. Going to give me one here. You know, there's tension in Scripture. So that Hosea 8.4 that talks about, I didn't put those leaders in place, right? Seems to contradict uh, Romans 13. Um, there's a really good commentary. We'll get, I'll get you some more information on it. But uh, remember where he, in fact, told Samuel, 
I want the Israel, Israelites to trust me, and I'll be their king, I'll be their God. And they said, no, no, we want, we want a human. <laughs> and so he said, well, give them what they want. But there's consequences to giving them what yeah. they want. So you're going you're gonna to pay taxes, you're going to go to war. And they said, that's okay, we want it. And, so, and you know what happened to Saul. So that's why I make a big deal as a leader. In fact, one of the ladies this morning came to me. You know, legally, I can't stand up and say, you need to vote for this person. But I can present the different platforms. I can, and I did this. In the last election, I presented the uh, Republican platform, all 60-some-odd pages, and I presented the Democratic platform. And I, said, and I read from the platforms. I said, this is what this organization is professing, and this is what this organization is professing. Now, you as Christians, you will be held accountable for who you vote for. You will stand before God and an answer for why you put a vote on this. On the, so I didn't, ha I didn't have to say any more to that, and I felt conscious clear. But at the same time, so if we vote in someone because someone promises us this, we like this, let, you know. So therefore, we vote contrary to God's scripture, or we do contrary to what God wants. He will give you what you say. You will have what you say. He will have what you want, but there are consequences. So he may say, and I think that's what he's saying, Hosea, and you'll read it. It's interesting. That's not the person I wanted for them, yeah. but that's who they wanted. So therefore, the consequences of that decision for what they want, they got. And he gives us choice. And that's the tension in Scripture. Yeah. So... Um, Okay, which of the following accurately describes? Where? I oh. just had a question. Like, what about a situation like Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar or Darius where um, an edict is put out that is contrary to God's word? Yeah, that's different. And he well, but it's still the authority over him, but isn't yeah. there a higher authority over that that we have to Yeah, I think as long as the it doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, there, go ahead. There, there are three levels here. There's one, there's the moral law. God's moral law, you know, I'm, I'm God, I don't change. Hebrews, right? He says, so his moral law is consistent, constant. But then there's the civil law. Um, for example, the example here is that um, in the case with Daniel, he was not allowed to bow before another king. That, you know, I bow before Yahweh. That's the only one. He was still respectful, and he said, you know, I can't do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can't, we can't bow, O king, we can't. And he threatened him, and of course the consequence was, well, there's the fiery furnace. Well, God said, oh. Now, he could have left him. There are those we see in Hebrews, right? Those in the hall of faith, they lost their heads. They were martyred. That's happening today. God may intervene. He may. He, you're still delivered. <laughs> it's just not delivered from the furnace. And so the point there is, we the highest level is the moral law. We will not bow to Nebuchadnezzar. We will not bow to homosexuality. When they come in here and say you're going to ordain homosexual, no, we're not. Okay. If you want to arrest us, go right ahead. But we're not doing that. And so there's a moral law, and then there's a civil law, and we know the civil law doesn't comply, right? And so. And then there's the religious law. There's the, the pharisaical laws of you do this or do that in certain denominations. or you're So we hold that to be the top. And we'll look more at, uh, in the areas of rebellion, uh, 
really good scripture to go look at. Numbers 11, when you have people that are in specific areas, Pastor Terry was talking about this, in number 16, Korah was selected after Jethro, after Moses' father-in-law said, you're wearing yourself out. Go pick leaders over 50s, 100s, right? So it's highly likely that Korah, who was one of the 250 prominent leaders of the 2 million Jews at that time, decided that we don't like this wandering around the desert stuff, even though they're being led by <laughs> the cloud and the fire and the pillars like, Okay, we don't like this stuff. And, and so they decide to lead a rebellion against Moses. And God, through Moses, says, who are these that are leading this rebellion against me? And he says, Korah, you and your crowd, come to your tent of meetings tomorrow morning. And in the midst of that, the ground opens up, and the whole family is swallowed up and killed. And they get so mad at Moses. You read the rest of Numbers 16. They blame Moses for the ground opening up and, and Korah being swallowed up. And then they run that, that same rebellion, and I, the plague comes on them. I forget the number that die, but a large number of them die until Moses makes intercession for them. What's the point? Look at Numbers 11. Here's another example. You've got the high priest, Aaron, who is the older brother. Now, here's a dynamic of family. Younger Moses is in charge, appointed by God. Older brother, there's a dynamic, who's the high priest. He's also in a high-level position. Older sister, Miriam, is the prophetess. Well, there's another dynamic. Wow, we've got a family thing going on here. And why has younger brother got all the answers? And read that numbers. Don't we hear from God? I would hope the prophetess hears from God, and I would hope the high priest hears from God. And it deals with, many believe, this is the example of Moses marrying the Cushite woman. Many believe that was an African-American. He was going to take an African-American wife not from within the clan, which was part of the religious law, marry within the family, right? Don't take something. And many believe that now the history of that, look at the Ethiopians and those that are coming in that are Jews. Who knows God's plan on that? That can't be too dogmatic. But here's the point. They, the high priest, Aaron, the brother, and Miriam, they're saying, he's going to marry. Don't we hear from God? We, and they start running their mouth on the side, and God hears it. And he says, you tell Aaron and Miriam to get their butts before me tomorrow morning, my translation. And, uh, and sure enough, as soon as that happens, Miriam walks in. She's struck with leprosy from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet, white skin. And Aaron, he repents. Whoa! <laughs> he hits low, right? Immediately, big uh, young brother goes in in session. Oh, God, spare your hand on them, right? What's the point of all this? When you look at this, we have to be really careful. That example Doug used with Eli under Samuel, you know that when Hannah was asking for a son, she goes to the, the priest Eli, who is an awful high priest. His two sons are having sex with the women in the church, and they're priests. They're stealing from the kitty, and God warned Eli, you fix this, your sons, and he refused. He finally said, your whole family and your whole legacy will be completely destroyed. And in fact, that's what happened to Eli. What? That, that ought to scare the, the, the devil out of us in a point where, okay, so what are all these different examples by Scripture? One, be careful. We know Moses had a face-to-face -face communication with God, and he must have gotten approval. You can go marry that Cushite woman. In fact, 
God probably had a plan, <laughs> knowing God, right? And when Moses and Aaron, when you're even in a position, which is a good example of what John Bevere was talking about, he's talking about Benny Hinn, we learned later. And he, Benny said, I've heard from, we're not going to have small groups. And I love the way John responded to that. His, his first inclination was to go, the pastor's changed his mind. We've wasted all our time. I'm really sorry, guys. wasn't my fault. No, he said, he walked down and says, he supported his pastor in a way that presented it and eliminated a whole lot of crosstalk. So there's a lot of messages and lessons in this scripture that I think he's right. We as Westerners, in our places of employment, in our families, in our school, we don't get it, and it's dangerous. I've spoken too much. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why is America hard to witness to? We don't understand, let's say we don't understand kingdom principles. Why, why is that? John Bevere said something. I think we started as a country in rebellion, really. All right, that's one, that's one thing. So it's kind of who we are. I, what, what, if we don't like something, what do we do in America? Protest. Throw them out. Complain, yeah. That's a democracy, right? Uh, if we don't like something, we vote, it, we vote them out. We have a democracy. Police, if the police are, are doing something wrong, we, we uh, what do you call it, uh, rebel on TV, <laughs> yeah, hold a sit down or whatever, and uh, we get our way based on that uh, rebellion. But that's not a kingdom. And what's the king? I mean, my, if you look back at some of the old kingdoms, my goodness, you couldn't even frown in front of the king because <laughs> he could kill you, and he would. <laughs> so it's hard when everybody feels that, that God owes them something, and he's going to do it my way, and if I don't like it, I'll vote him out. And that happens to a lot of pastors. That happens in churches, yeah, my seems like it's hard to have a country when there's so much division. Like, you know, you have um, yeah. Trump trying to get China to come, you know, to uh, be more fair with the, the trade, but then um, you know, Mathis will step down and say, I'm, I'm not going to support him because he's isolating um, people. And then, um, then you have Taylor Swift and other people that are, you know, saying he needs to, Trump needs to step down. Yeah, <laughs> so I, like, yeah. It's yeah. just hard to... Now, what, the, what does she know about democracy? You know? <laughs> so what, what we have to realize is that God's in charge, and we're his slaves. I don't care what the country wants to. And, and to answer your question, I think it's as simple. If it's against the scripture, don't do it. I don't care if you're told to do it. So the, 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 you know, the things that happened to the three free men that were burned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, that was against, God says no idols. And that's just strictly against it. So they stood up against that. They stood up against idol. According to John, obedience to authority should not simply be an outward act, but should flow from a broken, blank, and contrite heart. Spirit. A broken spirit. Now, what's that mean? 
That's a broken spirit. Humble. Have you ever seen somebody who's not humble? John Bevere used to be not humble. I mean, really. I can remember a day when I didn't like his attitude. We went to Love uh, Church in, Fair, in uh, Fayetteville. I don't remember where it was, but we saw him in person one time, and, and he was just appeared to us as very cocky. And, you know, oh, he's then, humble now. But then when we saw the, <laughs> yeah, when we saw the, the last video, especially, he was older, and you could just see humility on him, I think. Yeah, I think, I think God, I'm sure, of course, God knows that you're not humble, <laughs> and he'll fix it. <laughs> what kind of people are under God's protection and covering? What kind of people are under God's protection and covering? I've got to ask you a bunch of questions here. You can't answer that? Okay, people that are born again. Okay, in what ways can we be conformed to this world? In what ways can we be conformed to this world? <laughs> Yeah, if you get enough likes, <laughs> it must be okay, huh? The media is, but you know, that's one of the reasons that, uh, that we think the way we think. A lot of, we're influenced a lot, and, and I think the, the culture is influenced a lot by television, news. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's good. We can accept things. I think if, if, if you keep getting hit on the same area, you start to soften up. Your attitude may be good for about a year. Well, it usually takes about 10 years. But then it might change. It's like this uh, homosexual issue. Um, back back in 20 years ago, you'd never hear about that. But now it's, it's acceptable. So what's happened in 20 years? I feel like Satan just kept hitting and, and hitting that spot until finally, okay, maybe they're okay. Maybe it's the same. <laughs> In what way can we be conformed to this world? I asked that one. As our minds are renewed, how is God's perfect will made manifest in our lives? I got these questions here that I, I think some of them are just they. they as our minds are renewed, how is God's perfect will made manifest in our lives? Well, we become more like him. In becoming more like him, we are walking in the, 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 walking in the word. And his word is truth. And it's written, the just shall live by faith. So therefore, if we're going to continue to to grow thereby, and we are going to constantly be renewed. We're going to um, conform into the way that God would have us to be. Is that okay? It's getting eight o'clock. It's eight o one. I gotta shut it down. So let me ask one more question: How is our prosperity and peace contingent upon obedience to God? Okay, now. What, uh, it's conditional. Yeah, yeah it's conditional. I, I think it's well known in the banking industry that Christians have more money than non-Christians. Now, isn't that something? I didn't know that. I heard that and I read it, and uh, it's they know that. So they will gear 
advertisements toward the people who had the money, the Christians. Now, sometimes they do, the smart ones, <laughs> they want to get rich. But uh, the Christian values have, in the secular world, have proven to be good. Shaking together over here. Yeah, we have a promise. That's what you're saying. We've got a promise in the scripture that applies to us. Whereas somebody in the world doesn't have that. And uh, when I when I I've watched World War II and they did a lot of uh, what do you call it? punishment, trying to get answers from from the people. And I'm thinking, well, if they were Christians, they could just ask God to help them, right? If they're not a Christian, they just suffer. So people that are Christians have something, somebody to listen to them all the time. And I tell this to the people in jail. I say, hey, you guys alone in that jail can talk to God anytime you want to. And he'll listen. And he likes you. Yeah. <laughs> and that really that makes them think, let's, let's all stand up. It's about time. We don't want the uh, people watching the children to, to be burdened too much. Lord, we do thank you for your word. I just pray that uh, it'll get down deep in our hearts that you are in charge, well, not us. <laughs> And help us to be obedient, Lord Jesus, and humble in our lives. And keep us uh, in your will. In Jesus' name, amen.